Hello and welcome to Shades and Coffee, the almost weekly look good, feel good podcast, written and presented by me, Vivian Braidwood. If you love motivational stories, then join me to celebrate positive lifestyle, fashion and feel good trends. Lose yourself in this collection of personal adventures and powerful insights as I speak to some of the most inspiring people in the industry, company founders, movers, shakers and coffee takers about what makes them happy and the secrets of their success. In every show, there will be Q&A with them and me and we really want to hear from you. Ask us any lifestyle related question or let me know which topic you'd like me to cover. Tag me and use the hashtag Shades and Coffee with Vivian on Twitter or Instagram. We'd really love you to subscribe. Speak soon. Shades and coffee. Look good, feel good. If you like this podcast, hit subscribe and please rate us. My guest today is a self-taught British perfumer who made candles and perfumes as a child growing up in Cheshire and is now one of the world's leading fragrance experts. She's known for using ingredients that are exceptional, unusual, exotic, and often discovered during her extensive travels to far-flung corners of the world. The perfume brand is Ormond Jane, and I'm very excited about her new range, La Route de la Soie, comprising of seven new fragrances. These perfumes take you on an exquisite journey along the Silk Road and the entire collection will go on general release this autumn. I've just been introduced to the first four and I'm instantly hooked, intrigued and transported away to somewhere heavenly. I'm ready to explore. Please welcome founder and creator, Linda Pilkington. Good morning. Hello, can you hear me? I can see you, I can hear you. Good morning, how are you? Excellent. You've just returned from holiday, I believe? Just had seven days away, which was really, really great. It's just what the doctor ordered, you know, because we've all been home since March. Yes. So, you know, the boys were going a bit stir crazy. So we went off, did lots of water sports, read lots of books, and it was just lovely. Oh, good. Excellent. Yeah. So Ormond Jane is celebrating its 20th year. Congratulations. I'm guessing, Thank you. You're welcome. I'm guessing this year is probably very different uh, to previous years. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's quite an understatement. Um, I have to say the boutique suffering quite a lot at the moment because, of course, there's no tourists. A lot of the offices around um, Mayfair and um, Barclay Square, uh, a lot of people are working from home, so there's no footfall. So we've had to adapt very quickly. The company's run by myself and my chief operating officer. We're quite nimble. We're quick off our feet. This year, for the first time, we did an actual perfume launch via Zoom all around the world. So it's a new world for me, too. You have to go with the flow, really. You do, and adapt. And how was the launch received? If you compare prior years when you were physically able to go there, how was the launch received using the new medium? Well, yeah, well, quite extraordinary, actually. So some markets have done extremely well. Um, for example, Hong Kong and some uh, online companies have done extremely well. I think Russia and America are behind on sales, but the rest of the world, especially Asia, Vietnam, going out towards the Far East, they're absolutely, you know, holding their own. Oh, fantastic. And your story, Linda, is quite inspirational. So something that started out as a hobby, I understand, at the age of around 12, a passion that you've cultivated into a very successful business venture. It's clear to anyone and everyone that meets you that you absolutely love what you do. I mean, what inspires you to innovate and create as you do? 
Well, one, I've got a lot of vitality within myself on a daily basis from the moment I wake up, I'm, I'm sort of full of beans and ideas. Secondly, I'm entrepreneurial. So even when I was 12 or 13, I was always looking to find ways I could make a bit more money than my pocket money because I always used to look at lovely things and I always wanted to buy them. But my parents used to say, well, you can buy them, but you've got to pay for them. In my case, I used to make candles and grow flowers and cut flowers and sell them by the roadside outside my house. So I think that's just the way you know, the good Lord made me, really. Having experienced that, that's something that you use with your children as well. So if they want oh, something. Absolutely. Yeah. So my children know everything about business. They understand corporation tax, VAT. They're 12 and 14 now, that's... but they understand, you know, pre-tax profits, wow. post-tax, you know. And, and, you know, when I make a bottle of perfume, the cost of goods, the box, the bottle, the overcap, the premises, the staff, the marketing, the PR, all go together with the bag and the tissue is the cost of goods and what we're going to sell it. 20% of that is that. What's left and how do we divide that up into marketing and da, 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 da. So they understand full well every pound in their pocket, what it means exactly, which is good. It's, no, it's, it's excellent. I'm listening to you. I'm thinking, wow, my dad did that with us at a very early yes. age, younger than that. And I wonder if that's part of why I then went into business as well. If my children you know, were lucky enough to go into business or, or inherit my business, they've got to know everything from the bottom up, how you clean the shop floor, how you sterilize everything. They've got to learn from bottom up the whole thing. And I would never let them uh, just sort of lie on the sofa ordering, ordering you know, pina coladas any day, no chance. Oh, no, I'm, I'm happy to hear that. And that was done them in good stead. And at the same time, I suppose yeah. you'd also encourage and support any passion that they had, even if it was completely different to your passions and your business. Oh, completely, yes. I, I've got one, you know, my, both my boys, like everybody else's children, are completely different from each other. One is creative, one's more, you know, sort of into the sciences. So, no, I let them embrace it and you know, see where it takes them. Fantastic. When I started my business, when I launched 17 years ago, I spent nearly two years doing the research and writing the business plan. But looking back now, many of those activities paralyzed me to some extent, yes. built yeah. in a lot of fear. You know, I can tell you now that the reality was nothing like the business plan. I still have the business plans. I go through yeah. them like, oh my God. And when I hear your story, I'm inspired to learn that there is indeed another way. You just went for it and it all worked out. Wow. I mean, if, if it works out, then you can say it worked. But if it didn't work out, you could say, well, that was the wrong way to do it. But um, I have to say, no, I never had a business plan, but I do trust my instinct. When I saw this little boutique in Old Bond Street, I very quickly, just literally back of an envelope, what's the rent? What's the business rate? Can I possibly sell that many candles and perfumes per day to go pari? I'm absolutely damn sure I can. So yes, I'll sign the contract. In my case, yes, it worked for me, but... You know, there's also been an element of luck as well. I mean, there's two ways to launch a business. You can come up with your business plan and go to the bank and hopefully they'll lend you some money or outside investors will lend you some money. But I really recommend people uh, do the hard graft themselves and maintain because you learn so much more. When I started Ormond Jane, I kept hold of my job, which was obviously giving me a wage. And as I was getting more and more confident that I had something to offer, um, I was working just at the weekends for Ormond Jane. And then I had my full-time job and then I went part-time with my job, but I still had an income coming in until I had enough, um, you know, 
income coming in from Orm and Jane to sustain my life and food and all my obligations. So sometimes when you know young people say to me, how do I start a business? Let's say, for example, they work somewhere already and then they've got an idea and I want to encourage them to run with that idea. But I always say to them, don't give up your job straight away. You might have to have your full-time job for the next two years, still working, still bringing an income in, while at night time and at the weekends, you can nurture this idea you have. That's really good advice. I mean, and that's exactly what happened with me. I was still working full time whilst, yeah, the two years that it took to do the research, to put the business plan um, exactly. together, etc. That's what you have to do. No, you're, yeah. you're, you're, you're quite right. And um, it's, it's difficult to juggle, but the passion that sustains you, I mean, from speaking with you now, we're doing it over Zoom, but the energy, I can see it. You know, you're still passionate. When you're launching the business, that passion times 100 and that will carry yes. you through the sleepless that will nights carry you through, absolutely. and whatever you need to do and absolutely. it's so worthwhile yeah. yeah yeah that's true that's very true now i love the way that you um problem solve and innovate i also love that you try to see things as they are without immediately labeling so that you can then experience you know whatever that thing is and, and work out okay what do i do with this for instance you pioneered a gender-free perfume collection in i think 2007 at a time when the male-female distinction was part and parcel of the consumer experience. From my research, that came about from a customer complaint, I think. How did you go from that to gender-free collection? That's just amazing. Two customers complaining really almost back-to-back, about three weeks apart. And one was a, a gentleman who came in. He picked one of our most feminine, delicate, light florals. It's a very pretty fragrance, Sampaquita. And... I was wondering if I should say something to him, but I just, then I, you know, I was thinking to myself, well, who am I to tell this person what they should be wearing? If he likes it, you know, what's that going to do with me? You can hear your mind ticking over, can't you? You want to say something, but then you have to think about what you want to say. And then you think it doesn't sound right. And then about three weeks later, a gentleman bought a rose perfume from Harrods. He loved it. When he got back home, he went onto our website, ormonjane.com, and then he could see that the perfume he had bought was under the female category. Right. And he was furious. He phoned me up and he said, you know, you just, you know, obviously your staff just wanted to sell a perfume and they didn't bother to tell me it was a, a lady's perfume. I wanted to say to him, look, you know, I, I do apologize, but in all fairness, you like the smell of it on your skin. Why shouldn't you wear it? And I said, you know, tonight I'm going to phone up my... Uh, guy that does the website and I'm going to change it all and take out the female male and make it gender free and I'm going to retrain all my staff to say anybody who comes into the boutique first of all they should all be treated the same everybody should be treated like a VIP because they've actually even bothered to come to our boutique we should be grateful for that and so we just reviewed the whole training program and I said to them from now on there is no male or female fragrances. Uh, we're going to uh, coin the phrase um, gender-free, which took a few nights of thinking how you, you know, how we could say sort of um, unisex in a more, you know, slightly more sophisticated yes. way. <laughs> and, um, and then, um, and I said, and I want everybody treated exactly like a VIP, A1 celebrity, no matter what they look like, no matter if they're some, you know, scruffy with dirty shoes or what. I don't want anybody to be judged. I want everybody to be treated exactly the same. And it became part of the training program. Your response to that, I mean, this is 2007, and your response to the complaint is incredible. It just isn't something that people would do. 
the way that your mind works. You're obviously very open-hearted. I'd like to know that particular client, what was his response? Did he think, okay, yes, you're, I like this oh. perfume and I'm, I'm, going to, oh, well, he's I'm going to keep it? Yeah, no, well, I think that's the key to our success. We've kept every customer that's bought one of our perfumes. That's why I'm still independent today. I enjoy listening to my clients, you know, because that's the feedback from your client is more important than anything really, isn't it? Yeah, no, I get the sense that you really do listen and you hear people and that you you have a very open heart, you know, alongside your, <laughs> your, your business head. For me, the, the, the wider context was you started, you pioneered this, this whole debate about um, the power of perception. So this particular client, you know, was happy. I love this scent, I love this scent. Suddenly a label, some, something that he read online, female women's perfume he thought I don't I don't like it I don't like it and there's that whole debate yeah. which society is having now which you thought about yes. almost a decade and a half ago and it's incredible because I know that personally there are many times when my heart has said this is what I want to do and then because of external pressure suddenly I'm not happy with that decision even though it is what I want to do yes yes it is like that isn't it and I think yeah. You know, in, in the current uh, climate, we're all being so much more open-minded now about every aspect of life. And, you know, even my husband and I have conversations about if we feel that we've been too judgmental about something and then we talk about it, you know, because we want to stay up to date. We don't want to be, be left behind, you know, with narrow-mindedness. Now, some of your ingredients are very unusual. Um, hemlock, for instance. I mean, that's not something I'd expect to find in a perfume. No. That's right. So, I mean, it's one of those things, you know, you can't sit down and brainstorm how your company is going to be. It grows organically. It's through happenstance, through conversation. I had a conversation with a woman. She wanted me to create a perfume for her. She wanted it to be made from tuberose. I was just explaining to her that she could buy tuberose from several different perfume houses made perfectly well. And she should allow me to make something a little bit more individual and a bit more exotic and she was very keen on that idea and she was like well, like what like what and I just thought well I don't actually know but <laughs> and my brain sort of went ding and I thought you know that's what I should do for Omon Jane if I could create perfumes using ingredients not widely used in the perfume industry it would give me a very good point of difference so through conversation and listening to this lady I just realized that you know, if somebody now came into the shop and said, well, I like sandalwood or cedarwood, I could say, well, I've got hemlock. It's, um, you know, Socrates' chosen poison. And also at that <laughs> like point, that. there wasn't a perfume in the world made with hemlock. It makes you feel excited as well. When you feel excited yourself about what you're doing, you know it's right. And it wasn't a mistake. Roll the clock forwards now, you know, 16, 17, 18 years later. and these perfumes like the oud, when I introduce oud into the market, and hemlock, taif, they've all become confirmed categories in the perfume world. All the other houses have embraced this and made it literally a new category of perfume. I didn't know it was going to be that successful, but as time went on, people wanted to know what is this oud, can you act as a consultant for us? just to see that becoming part of the perfume industry, you know, makes me very happy and proud that, you know, I've done something that's... And that's, so you should be, yeah. yes, you pioneered and it's been embraced by the entire industry. It's been and, embraced. And, and it's, and I never thought 
that Europeans would like this type of perfume, but it turns out they do. I've got an oud dealer from Cambodia that I deal with, and we always have it tested for purity and make sure that it's, um, you know, the real deal. It sounds like a drunk deal. I, know, I was thinking that when you were saying, I have an oud dealer in Cambodia. <laughs> <laughs> they can cut it with other cheap oils uh, to make it, you know, stretch it out. So you've got to be very careful, but I trust him completely. To travel to these far-flung and barely known places suggests that you have a spirit for adventure and a fearlessness of sorts. How did you choose each destination and how did each destination in turn inspire you to create new fragrances? When it came to places like going off to Laos and, and like northern Thailand, I did take my husband with me because I was going to a park where there actually isn't a hotel. Because it's so remote, it's not like I can do any research about, you know, I know that there there is a grower um, in that part of town and I know I've got to fly into Thailand and get another aircraft and go another hour and 45 minutes in a small aircraft, land in a, in a field and then I've got to go and find this grower. We're back to the drug deals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there are no taxis waiting outside. You're literally getting off an aeroplane and walking across a field. Wow. So, you know, it's in that moment, you just say to yourself, okay, I need to have, you know, somebody with me because I yes, have absolutely sensible. no idea where I'm going. So the last time yeah, we yeah. saw Linda, she was wandering off into the jungles. And <laughs> such yeah, yeah, yeah. So it sounds as if you do a lot of the research beforehand. So although you're traveling to all these places, when you arrive, you actually know the ingredient um, that you're going to research to look at and, and you're just going to have a look and sort of check it out. Oh, I mean, they're, they're expecting me. They're expecting right. me. They, they, you know, uh, we know what we're looking for. We've talked about it. And then, you know, I'm going to go there. Right. And your new collection, La Route de la Soie, it's seven perfumes in total. That's so right. four, four yeah. are available now. Uh, the other three will launch next month. The last three will come out, I think, October, November. But the Silk Roads... It's actually quite topical now. There's a lot of programmes on the BBC focused on the Silk Road. For those of our listeners that don't know where the Silk Road is, so the Route de la Soie, oh, the yes. Silk Road, can you give us a quick history or geography lesson on that? So the Silk Road, it starts off in like in China. What I learnt was all the things that we know today, mathematics, gunpowder, silk, these, all these beautiful aspects of that's in our everyday life have come from tradesmen on the Silk Road. It's not just one road, there's six different routes, but they're more or less all going you know, through China. They go through um, the Levant, um, Old Turkey, Byzance, Tangier. They go right the way through into Europe where it concludes. And you said that this new collection is a departure from your previous perfumes. In what way? Well, the perfumes had to be based on what was growing on the Silk Road. So it was a departure from my, my slightly more exotic oils, but it's a good inclusion because it means there's something for everybody in the Almond Jane collections. If you do like that more gourmand, fruity florals, then the Silk Road, La Route de la Soie, is perfect because you know a lot of my other perfumes like Tolu, Nawababud, and Almond Woman, they're slightly, you know, they are more um, creative and perhaps not everybody's cup of tea. Whereas the Rue de la Soie is like, you can't really fail to like it because it's just very pretty. There's lots of oranges, apples, rhubarbs, plums, peonies. It's a very sunny, a very warm um, set of perfumes. Like when you spray them, you, you can almost 
smell the heat in the air and smell the, the lovely ambience coming off the trees. One of the ladies in the Sunday Times magazine had been on this something like a 16 day trip through the Silk Road. Um, so I, I cut that out because then I said to my husband, when this whole pandemic is over and it's safe to travel again, what would really make me so happy to do the Silk Road in one go? I would love that, absolutely love that. The whole idea of taking off just with like light cotton shorts, you know, with your hat and glasses and just taking off and trekking and walking. I think it's very appealing, isn't it? Yes, I love travel. And I travelled independently uh, for quite okay. a while. It changed me completely. And I, I, I do believe that if it was possible to put travel on the curriculum for children, yes. you know, at that age, I yes. really believe it would solve a lot of the world's problems like that. Oh, yes. Honestly, I found that people in general have big hearts. The world is not as scary as the, the media makes out. I, yes. This is at the time when I could, you could hitchhike. I yes. hitchhiked across countries, yes. stayed yes. with complete strangers. I was never in any danger, taken advantage of. The people of different races welcomed me into their yeah. homes. And so I had this sense of the world. And when I came back to England, I, I felt I'm a child of the world. I know yeah. my place. You've got a sense of adventure yourself then, haven't you, really? So I, I, I love mean, it. You, you did exactly what I did. I did a lot of traveling at the same age group, did a lot of hitchhiking. I went everywhere. Damascus, Judean Desert, up to the Lebanon, Syria, Egypt, Africa, um, South America. I've been everywhere. I loved it. Fantastic. Now, you always look immaculately turned out. <laughs> and, and there's a really lovely, personable, kind of easygoing manner about your style. What are your top tips for looking good? It's kind that you think I look well put together. I eat quite healthily. I exercise. I probably drink too much, but... Um, I think we're all guilty of that, especially in the last few months. I think when you get to, you get to a certain age when you know what suits you. And so... Um, I like to embrace fashion. I like to see what's fashionable. And then I try and adapt it to my, I'm very small, you know, I'm just like literally not five foot in my stocking feet. So I'm very petite. So I can't carry off a lot of things. I tend to wear things that I know suits my body shape and my body style. I've got a sense of aesthetics anyway within me, which is all part of like wanting to make things, craftsmanship, etc. So I like to put things together and edit things. It's like if I, if I buy a face powder, and I realize it covers my face quite well. And then I spray it with some Evian water and it sets it. I just then know that I don't look like I'm wearing any makeup. I look perfectly natural. I know I've got the right coverage. And I just stick with that. I just stick with that formula because I know it works. And it doesn't matter what comes in the magazines, what makeups come in the magazines. I just know that that particular powder on my face um, yes. with a spray of Evian sets my face and makes it look natural and you do your skin yeah. looks lovely it's glowing healthy very sort of natural yeah i've got very frizzy mad hair i look like a complete nutcase so <laughs> it's either tied up um like this uh, or if, like maybe twice a week it will be done and when i have a blow dry or i blow dry it myself and then when that blow dry has gone all frizzy and all over the place i just tie it back up again till the next but i wash it that's how it is i mean i've got unruly hair Oh, you should, you should see my afro. <laughs> you, should see, you should see my afro when it hasn't been straightened. <laughs> oh, brilliant. And finally, where can our listeners find out more about your products? I know we mentioned the Bond Street Boutique and you mentioned that you're in yeah. Selfridges, Harrods, also online. Yeah, so we've got almondjane.com. On that, you've got Gourmand Jane, where you'll see me cooking 
with fragrances. That's just a bit of fun and something I love cooking and I love baking. So I just incorporated that into another aspect of what I like to do. That's an excellent piece of yeah. advice. No, thank you. I've really enjoyed our conversation, our coffee break. Thanks very much, Linda. Oh, no, it's my pleasure. Thanks very much for having me. Thank Enjoy you, Vivian. You've been listening to me, Vivian Braidwood. Ask me any lifestyle related question or let me know which topic you'd like me to cover during our essential coffee break. Tag me and use the hashtag Shades and Coffee with Vivian on Twitter or Instagram. If you like this podcast, hit subscribe and please rate us. Shades and Coffee. Look good. Feel good. Thank you.